0: good morning, First Free Church. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Steve. I get the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at the church. I also had the privilege of preaching, not once, but twice now, on a Super Bowl Sunday. So last time I preached on Super Bowl Sunday, I wore some Eagles gear, and it was immensely popular. So much so that I thought I gotta do it again, right? And. Some of you don't understand this if you're uh, not from Philly. Uh, Philly fans have a, a vernacular, their own kind of ver- vocabulary, where uh, we speak through insults, okay? So we insult our players, we insult our coach, we insult each other, and so I, I just want you to know that you've made me feel really at home here these past couple of years, so I really appreciate, appreciate that, especially uh, my students, they keep me humble. So, um. In all seriousness, I love attending sporting events. One of my favorite was going to an Eagles game a couple years ago. It was week 16 up against the Washington football team. The game was down in Washington, D.C., and the Eagles needed to win to go to the playoffs that year, where they ended up losing anyway, but they uh, needed this win. And so my whole family, we packed up, we went down to Washington, D.C., drove a couple hours down there, and we show up and there's more Eagles fans than there are Washington football fans in their own stadium, which was amazing because the whole time, like, you know, in a home stadium, you know, they got the screens that are trying to like start these like Washington football chants and stuff. And the Eagles just took over with our own chants. And it was, it was incredible. And there were even points where we were so loud, there was so much noise going on that the, uh, the, the players on the Washington football team had to do some no snap counts and try and figure some other things out because they couldn't hear each other because there's so much noise going against them in the crowd. Um, I I also love the more amateur sporting events, um, especially for basketball. I don't watch the NBA. I don't watch college basketball. This is unpopular opinion. I think both are boring because it's like, oh great, they made another basket. This is like the 100th one. Let me know when the fourth quarter starts because there's nothing surprising going on now. They just keep making it because they're so good. But high school basketball, that's where it's at because there's so much intensity, like everyone's giving their 100% and there's, there's still some great skill going on there, but it's just exciting. Every time a basket's made, it's just like a celebration and I love it. So one of my favorite, actually, my very favorite basketball game I was ever a part of, the opposing team, uh, was Delta High School. Okay? And Delta High School was the, uh, the favorite in the game. They were slated to beat our team And uh, we, we show up to the game and the first couple minutes of the game are really interesting because the entire crowd was silent. You could hear a pin drop in the gymnasium, save for you know the basketball hitting the ground and the, the sound of the, the shoes on the on the gym floor. It was just silent. And what was so funny was like Delta High School didn't know what to do, like psychologically, it was just like messing with them. The silence, they're like, This is weird, like something's wrong here. You know, everyone in the stands was dressed in black, they did did a blackout. And uh, at the fifth point, when uh when when our team scored their fifth point. Um, And Delta hadn't scored any. Like, they just couldn't function. All of a sudden, the, the, the crowd just erupted at the fifth point and just went nuts. Like, I thought I was in an insane asylum. People were just losing their minds. There were guys who were just ripping off their shirts. They had chest paint. They had face paint. They were all decked out, just going crazy. And there was so much noise, so much yelling. I mean, it lasted for an entire quarter. So for the whole first quarter, the fans were just screaming as loud as they could whenever Delta had the ball. And at the end of the first quarter, the score was 20 to zero because Delta couldn't do anything. Like they would literally be trying to hear their coach. The coach would be like encroaching on onto the court from the sideline, trying to scream at them to tell them a play, and they'd be like, "What?" Like trying to dribble, and the other our team would just take the ball from them while they're trying to figure out. Like they couldn't hear each other. They couldn't hear the coach. It was phenomenal. Now, some of you who know me, you're like, Steve, you never played basketball in high school. No, I was in the crowd. I was one of the crazy people going nuts, okay? It was awesome though, my, my friends and I, uh, we created this event in college. We called it the Westell Apocalypse. There was a high school near us called West L High School. Uh, sixth through 12th grade, they had a total of 500 students in this public school in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. Okay, and so we just decided every football season and every basketball season, we're just gonna take as many students as we can from our school, from Taylor, and just show up, a bunch of college guys just going nuts at their games and let's just lose our minds at these games and the first time we went you can see this picture here this is at the football game we brought about 200 students and uh westville got slaughtered okay we like cheered them on and at halftime they were down by like several touchdowns and we kind of felt bad we're like we need to leave because we're like, I, they're gonna think we're making fun of them. So we left, we thought it was a disaster, but then our Twitter blew up when we got home. And like even the principal of the high school is tweeting us and being like, when are you guys coming back? Like somehow they found out it was us. And so we made it a thing every year. They even made towels for, for one of the games and it was, it was a lot of fun. So, um, But it was just so cool to make an impact in the games, I later actually talked to a, a, a Delta High School player who then came to co- college at Taylor my, uh, my junior year. And I, I was like, wait a second, you look familiar. He's like, yeah, I played on the team at the Westdale Apocalypse against Westdale. He's like, there, I almost peed my pants. Like there was nothing more terrifying than all these like, you know, for a high school, these giant college guys just painted like barbarians and cheering against them. Uh, But it was so fun getting to make that impact. And this happens all the time in sports. It happens in the NFL. It happens all all the time where teams start to do poorly um, because the fans are so loud of the opposing team and try to disrupt what's going on, disrupt their communication. Because in any sort of uh, team sport, you need to be able to communicate with each other. You need to be able to communicate with your coach. You need to hear instruction of what's going on. And if if there's too much noise going on around you, you can't hear and you can't function. You can't um, properly compete. And... And the same is true for us as Christians, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we need to be able to hear from God, from from Jesus. We need to be able to have an open line of communication going on, and and that's an issue because for for many of us, there's a lot of noise going on in our lives. Like Stephen mentioned earlier during the worship set that there's just so much constantly going on, You know, some of it's self-inflicted, but a lot of it's just stuff that's been imposed upon us by society, by our jobs, by our family. I mean, there's just a lot of things that are required of us. So there's constantly noise going on in the background. And if we're not careful, that noise can take over and and we can just lose all sorts of, of communication with our Creator. And that problem is increased when we ask that question, how do we even hear from God? Because I think we, we talk about spending time with God in prayer, hearing from God, but what does that even look like? What does it mean to hear from God? What does it mean when, that we say, God spoke to me? Does God send down like a, a dove from heaven with like a message in its beak and we open it up? And we're like, oh, thanks God. No, I don't think so. But what does that even look like? And, and for some of you, if you're like me, You've had times where you've cried out to God or spoken to God and tried to get a response and then you felt like he was silent and never gave an answer to your question. Or it felt like he never really responded to what you were crying about, out about, what you were in distress about. I've had that happen in my life. And so I wanna pose that question. How does God speak to us? How do we hear from God? What, what does that look like today? Does God even speak to us today? Or is that just a thing back in biblical times? Like, What is that going to look like? So we're, I've got a few points. We've got three, three points I'm just going to go through. So if you'd like to take notes, there you go. There'll be three points on um, just what... What it looks like for God to speak to us, how He speaks to us in some different ways. It might not be exhaustive, but but I hope that these points will give just a general idea of the, the variety of ways that God communicates with us. So the first point is this God speaks to us unexpectedly through circumstances, people, and strong senses. There's, there's many times throughout God's word that he speaks to individuals in these extraordinary ways. And it's no small thing. I don't want us to, to gloss over God speaking to people. I mean, this is infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, beyond space and time, God creator of everything, who steps down into the limits of time and space and actually communicates with human beings who are fallen, who are unholy, who are unworthy and and is able to do that, communicate with us without melting our faces off like Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you've seen that. Like God can do that and God does do that. And that's not just a big deal for the individuals who he interacts with. It's a big deal for all of human history because of the implications that God, our creator, actually stoops down to speak to us. That's an amazing thing. And he does it in a variety of ways, unexpectedly. The the first way is through circumstances. Um, This is pretty clear in the story of Jonah. If you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, there's a prophet, his name is Jonah. And uh, prophets were just messengers from God. His job was to take a message from God, share it to other people. Oftentimes, it was a message of judgment. And so God spoke to to Jonah and said, look, there's a place, a city called Nineveh, and I want you to head there. They are wicked, they are depraved, they are so selfish and greedy and idolaters, and I want you to pronounce judgment on them and demand for them to repent. And Jonah says, nope. Like, nope, that's not happening. And, and we sometimes think like, oh, I didn't Jonah do that. Was he afraid? He wasn't afraid. Jonah was a smart dude. He, he was not afraid of Nineveh. He, he wasn't like, oh, I don't want to go there. I just, I, I don't want to have to give this mean message. Jonah's a prophet. He's used to doing that. Jonah doesn't want to go. We actually find later, he doesn't want to go because he knows that God is a merciful God. And that if the city of Nineveh repents, God might actually spare them. And so he's like, nope, I'm gonna go the other way because I don't, I don't like them, they're evil, I want them to perish, so I'm not gonna give them that message. So he goes the opposite way. Gets in a ship, some other people, goes across the sea, and on his way, God causes a great storm to rock the ship to the point where they're at risk of losing the whole ship and losing their lives. The, the Everyone on the ship, they're, they're freaking out, they're not sure what to do, and eventually it comes out and Jonah, Jonah admits, hey, this is my fault. It's because it's I wasn't listening to God. And so they say, okay, well, see ya. And they throw him over the boat, goes into the sea, a whale or some sort of fish swallows Jonah. And it takes him three days to have his mind changed. Some of you, you're married to someone like that, and you're like, they take five, they take five days in a fish's mouth to change their mind on something. Um, but three days, and he goes, okay, I'll go to Nineveh, fine so God uses circumstances. God changes the circumstances in Jonah's life in some pretty obvious ways, but he uses them to, to shift him back onto the right path, to shift him back where God was calling him to. My wife Abby and I, we experienced a, a similar thing uh, a few years ago. We were uh, living in Indianapolis, newly married, and I had a pastor who uh, uh, who used to serve here at the church who reached out to me and said, "Hey, you should uh, you should work here." And I said, "No," and uh, that was pretty much our conversation. And I there was nothing against here or St. Louis or anything. I just said I I'm loving where I'm at. Um, we just got married here. We just got a house. We felt like we were finally settling in. Finally, felt like we had some good community and some friends we found, which isn't. Uh, always easy to do in a new place, and um, we just felt like, man, like God's doing some great things here, it's just not our time, We've gotta, we, we wanna stay here and just build some roots here and um, start our, as we start our new life together. Well, um, some more individuals kept reaching out to us from here and just saying, hey, would you reconsider, would you reconsider, no, no. And eventually I finally said, okay, I'll pray about it. Which if you've been a Christian for long enough, you know what that usually means. I'll pray about it as a nice way of saying, no thanks, bye, right? Um, No, but I really prayed, I really did. I said, I'll pray about it, and I actually prayed about it. And what was crazy was God started changing circumstances where we were in Indiana, nothing nothing terrible, but there were just these circumstances that changed that just kind of made it clear that the door was closing for our time in Indiana. The door kept getting wider and wider open in St. Louis. And so God worked through those circumstances to move us here, and it's been clear that he's called us here, and and we love it here in St. Louis. It's been great to start raising a family, um, having our son here, and uh, and we love it, but it, it took God working through circumstances to help us know where he was calling us to and what he was calling us to do. So perhaps the proper posture in trying to be obedient to God is just looking at our circumstances and asking what God's trying to teach us through them. And it may even be, you know, when a difficult uh, decision comes up or we're trying to figure out what's the next step to take, it may even be just taking the step that we think is right, but saying, God, if this is wrong, change the circumstances and make it clear to me that I ought to be doing something else. Close this door if this isn't the right path to take. And oftentimes God will respond to that. We need to be aware of that. So God uh, works unexpectedly through circumstances. He works unexpectedly uh, also through people, other people. God uses other people to speak to us. Uh, There's a great great way to illustrate this in Galatians chapter 2. Paul's writing to the church in Galatia who have an issue with legalism. They're struggling with legalism. There's some Jewish um, leaders who came into the the church in Galatia and started spreading this uh, false gospel saying, you have to do X, Y, and Z. You've gotta be circumcised in order to be a real Christian. They started adding to the gospel, and Paul's saying to the church in Galatia, no, 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 no. It's by faith, through grace alone, that you're saved. That's it. It's just, it's just by God's grace. You don't have to do anything to earn this. You can't do anything to earn this. And so he writes this letter about Peter, the apostle Peter, who's widely at the time considered you know, the leader of the church then, or, or at, at the very least, one of the best friends of Jesus during his time and, and a leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he comes to hang out with some, some, um, some Christians. And he starts being two-faced, he starts worrying about what other people think of him. So he starts acting one way with one group and with uh, another way with the other group. He starts acting legalistic with a legalistic crowd and very grace-based with a grace-based crowd. And it creates this confusing message because there's a lot of people looking up to Peter's teaching and his example. And so now there's this um, confusing message that now is even creeping into the highest echelons of the church. And Paul says this, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Sometimes God's trying to get our attention through the most human way possible. We as humans were built to be relational. That's how we connect with each other is through relationships. And, and we tend to be, for better or for worse, very reactionary to the actions and behaviors of people around us and the words that people around us say. And so God, a lot of times, uses other people to communicate something to us so that we'll react better than through, you know, sometimes we just miss it in circumstances. but It's more in our face when it's someone else actually telling us something. And he does this with Paul and Peter. He uses Paul to communicate truth, to to humble Peter and to help Peter see a blind spot that could lead to a lot more dangerous false teaching creeping into the church. Sometimes God wants to speak to us through other people, and and what if we just treated our conversations with other people as if God might be trying to speak to us through that person? No. Obviously, we need to use discernment if someone tells you break a leg. One, don't take that literally, and two, don't take that as God's you know, message to you and jump off the roof to make that happen, right? Like there's, there's obviously some discernment we need to, to make in that, but there's plenty of times that I'm sure you and I have missed when God's trying to communicate something to us through someone else because we get flustered or we don't like what they said or whatever, and we just take it as that's another human's words and they're a broken person and they're a sinful person, I don't like that, so I'm just gonna disregard it. It's like, what if though, what if that was God trying to speak through that fallen, broken person? I started something a couple years ago that when I would enter in or prepare to enter into a a difficult conversation, maybe an uncomfortable conversation, maybe it was a confrontational one, just trying to pray before and after that. I'd pray beforehand and say, God, give me the right words to say and um, the, the right words not to say, right? Like that's probably more important sometimes in those conversations. But then afterwards, just pray and talk to God about how it went. I don't do that all the time, but the times that I have done it, it's been amazing to see afterwards as I'm talking with God, wow, God, you taught me something through that person may have been something that they said directly to me that I needed to hear from, from someone and it was totally God speaking through them. Or may it just been something that may, was made clear in that interaction that God helped me see. I think a lot of times the most difficult conversations, th- those hardest conversations, are some of the best chances for us to hear from what God might be wanting to say to us. And sometimes we know that, like we go into a conversation going, I really am dreading this because we know we're gonna hear a hard truth. But it changes the whole landscape when we think, what if this is God speaking to me through this? And I'm uh, open to hearing what he has to say. Like Hebrews 13, two says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. I've read this so many times and every time I'm like amazed at this. Like, I'm sorry, what are there angels? Like just showing up at my front door all the time? And I thought I was crazy because I've just never really heard this talked about that much. And I even like, uh, I went to a bunch of commentaries and I just felt so dumb because all these commentaries were just like, yeah, we need to be hospitable. Like, it was like they didn't even acknowledge the angels thing because it was just like, well, yeah, duh. And I'm just like, am I just dumb for not, for like being amazed by this fact that there might be angels coming? And uh, eventually I found someone who, like, you know, said pretty simply, yeah, there might be angels that come to your door. I'm like, what? I've never been taught this before. This is crazy. Uh, but the author of Hebrews is trying to point back to there, are, there have been cases in the Bible where God shows up or sends a messenger on his behalf in human form to interact with people. And the author of Hebrews is saying, this could happen to us. Now, I'm not saying, you know, be paranoid about every interaction you have. Like, are you really human? You know, like you're just trying to test them out or something. Don't be weird about it, okay? That's not the point. The point is that, that the author of Hebrews is saying is you might never interact with a messenger that's straight from God. You may never interact with one of these angels. That may never happen in your lifetime, okay? This is not a guarantee. This is just saying it could. It's a possibility that a person who you interact with could be from God. And so we should be treating our interactions with other people as if God is, is possibly sending a message through them, whether they're human or they're a direct message, messenger from him. And that changes the way we actually listen to people, or at least should, that we incline our ear more to what people are saying and be a lot slower to disregard what they have to say. So God speaks unexpectedly to us through circumstances, through people. And third and finally, he speaks to us unexpectedly through just audibly speaking to us. Or I I put up here strong senses. So these times where maybe it's not totally like um, we hear it with our ears, but it's like this strong sense that it's just this direct boom, I can't ignore it. Um, There's a story in 1 Samuel three where God speaks to a boy named Samuel. Samuel is being mentored by a priest named Eli. He's living in the temple with him, and they're, uh, it's at nighttime, Samuel's going to bed. He's, he wakes up, because he thinks he hears someone calling his name. He gets up, he goes to Eli. His mentor. Is like, yes, did you call me? And Eli's like, no, go to bed. And this happens a couple times. He keeps getting up, going to Eli, you call me? He's like, no. Eli finally catches on and realizes, I think this is God trying to speak to you. So Eli gives him this instruction. He says, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. He goes to bed and sure enough, he hears the voice of God again and he follows Eli's instructions. And God speaks to him. I mean, God gives him this wonderful prophecy about what's going to be happening for the future of the nation of Israel. And, and then God continues to use Samuel for the rest of Samuel's life as this amazingly influential prophet who, who makes this big impact on the nation of Israel and, and its history and some of its biggest years of, of the nation of Israel's history. Sometimes God speaks clearly and directly to people. And this, this happens so many times in the Bible. I mean, it happens to Elijah, Abraham, Paul, Gideon. I mean, the list could go on and on. This type of communication from God is typically what we tend to think of. When we hear the words, I want to hear, or I heard from God, or I'm going to hear from God, or God spoke to me, we start thinking of these crazy experiences of God directly speaking to us. And that's natural. I mean, that's, we, we, we like those concrete, very clear interactions. But, That's not how God often speaks to us. In fact, it seems to be the rarest form of the way God speaks to us. doesn't mean God can't. I mean, God is so capable of it. And gosh, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, I don't, you're just like in the middle of a, debate between a Christian and an atheist. And it's just, you know, everyone's watching this and they're debating the existence of God and the roof just like tears open and God's just like, debate over, I win, right? And it's just like, that was awesome, God. You know, and he just did these like things that were just so clear and in your face, like that would be amazing. But for whatever reason, that's not how God tends to communicate with us. And it certainly still happens but it's not, it's not the norm. Which is interesting because so many of the instances where God speaks to people in the Bible, he's doing it this way. He's like talking them to them directly. But, th- but there's two things we need to know about that. One is there's a difference between the way the Bible describes something and the way the Bible prescribes something. So the Bible can can describe a situation that happens and what we can take from that is a myriad of things. We can take from it, oh man, this is what God's nature is like. This is how God tends to act. This is how God tends to do things. But it's not necessarily saying this is how God will do these things all the time. A good example of the difference between description and prescription is uh, throughout the Old Testament, there's these heroes of the faith, people we look up to today who are um, faithful followers of God and have these incredible stories, and they're married multiple women. And the Bible just describes, yep, they're married multiple women. It doesn't really say anything about it. It's not like, and it was bad, or, and that was awesome, which. Marriage between two people is already hard enough. I can't imagine with, when you bring more people in to complexify, but the Bible does describe a lot of problems that happen. The Bible does describe a lot of jealousy, a lot of manipulation, a lot of um, just issues with that, a lot of idolatry that comes out of that. And so, you know, in our modern, I hope that that's not like just completely blowing your mind right now. I mean, I hope you're all like, yeah, that's, That makes sense. That marriage is just between two people. Um, But the Bible describes it and doesn't go into this whole, I mean, it just doesn't spend the time to to explain everything that happens. Okay, and this happened, but this was really good, and here's why, and then this happened, and this is really bad. It just oftentimes just goes through a story or goes through what happened and just describes it. So we just need to be careful not to think that just because the Bible describes something that it's a prescription that, hey, this will always happen this way. The second thing we need to note when we see all these cases of God directly speaking is um, the Bible is covering a couple thousand years of time, of history of people, and it's only 66 books. Bible's a big book, but 66 books to cover that much time in human history is not much content. It's a pretty focused story. It's, it's God's redemptive story for humankind of, of how human beings were created in his image and were made good, and then they fell and sinned against him rebelled against him, and then it shows his story of bringing up his nation, the nation of Israel, and um, using them to bring redemption to the world, and then they fail, and then he brings uh, forth the ultimate sacrifice, his son Jesus who dies for us and offers us eternal life. And then he shows the Christian um, movement start and this new mission that's been given by Christ. It's just this one overarching story. And it stays on track on that. It just shows the, the core uh, part of that story. There's, I mean, there's, there's likely hundreds of thousands, millions, billions, I don't know, of people who believed in God throughout the history that this covers that never once get mentioned in the Bible. And maybe didn't have a very extraordinary story, but they stayed faithful to God their whole lives. And so we have to remember that this is a limited scope and it's probably going to tell us some of the most extraordinary stories, right? Like if, you've, if you're like, I wanna tell a story, you don't tell the most boring story you tell the most exciting one, the, the, the one that the, the coolest things happen or the most extraordinary things happen. And so it's limited in its scope and that it's not gonna cover every single detail of human history. So it may just be that the most extraordinary parts of God showing up are, are in here and that's what God wanted to communicate to us in his word. All, all I'm trying to say here is that we should just be cautious about expecting to hear audibly from God. He might do that for you. He might speak clearly, so clearly you can't ignore it, but that's not something we need to expect will happen to us. We can certainly pray for it, we can look for it, we can look for him to speak to us in circumstances and through people. We don't need to think it will happen because we are guaranteed of ways that God will speak to us if we make ourselves available. The second point, God speaks to us consistently through his word and through his spirit. So God speaks to us through his word. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. God corrects us through it. When we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God speaks through this. When we call this the word of God, we mean that it's God speaking to us. And yes, there's human authors that who have written it in Greek and in Hebrew, and then it gets, it got uh, uh, copied over and over and over again by human hands in ink, and then it got translated into tons of different languages and then it eventually found its way onto our phones and an app, I mean, it's everywhere and it's gotten transmitted through humans and it was created and written by humans and yet God is the ultimate author. It's a magnificent parallel to Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, that Jesus, who was fully God, became fully human and the divine and the human Touched in this inexplicable way, in this unfathomable way where this eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing God steps into this limited body, becomes fully human, is able to be tempted, feel pain, feel suffering, and yet he's still fully God, and it's this crazy uh, mixture here, and that's what God's Word is. It's it's where the, the human and the divine touch where God is the ultimate author and yet he uses human beings to communicate his truth through it. And if that doesn't make sense to you, join the club. Okay, it it will never fully make sense. It's, It's kind of beyond our understanding because it's just this crazy truth, but just because we don't fully understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because we can't fully wrap our minds around it doesn't mean it's not reality. And so God speaks to us through his word It applies and speaks to us today. Author of Hebrews says it's living and active, and it's the foundation through which we should compare all other truths that come in. So we ought to use this to compare to when we feel like God's speaking to us through a circumstance, through another person, or maybe we feel this calling directly from God like he's saying something to us, we ought to compare it to what's going on in here and say, is this consistent with the character I see that God's word tells us about himself. Like if I get this strong sense I'm driving past the bank and I'm like there's just this like voice or thought that's like go rob that bank, right? Like that that's clearly not God because that's so inconsistent with the character we see revealed to us in his word. God speaks to us through his word and he speaks to us through his spirit consistently. Uh, the Holy Spirit is member of the Trinity, fully God. I think many of us in the church, we, we suffer from a lack of understanding of the Spirit, a lack of knowledge of who the Spirit is. And part of that is shows a little bit about the Holy Spirit's character. James Bryan Smith says in his book, uh, The Good and Beautiful God, the Holy Spirit's not often the focus of our lives, but I've come to believe that the Holy Spirit is not upset about this. The constant aim of the Spirit is to point us to the Father and the Son and not to Himself. So the Spirit's purpose is pointing us to the Father and the Son, but just because that that's His purpose doesn't mean we shouldn't get to know the Spirit. That's not an excuse to ignore getting to know the Spirit because the reality is, the more intimately we get to know the Spirit, the more intimately we get to know the Father and the Son because He's the one who points us to them. The Holy Spirit's the one who tells us and reveals to us what God's trying to tell us when we read His Word. Without the Spirit, this is just another book or collection of books. There's plenty of people who aren't believers who read this like it's just any other book and it says nothing to them. Because it's through the Spirit that God communicates his truth to us in his words. While this is the foundation for all truth and what God's teaching us about himself, we need the Spirit in our lives to guide us and to teach us and to illuminate what God's word has to say. The, Paul calls the holy or Paul calls Christians temples of the holy spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you realize that your body is the temple of your holy spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? There's this unbelievable power in Christians that God himself, our creator lives within us if we put our trust in him. We have the power of God within us. And God's trying to guide us and speak to us from within our hearts, from within our minds. He's trying to guide us, and and it's hard to even explain what that's like. Um, Sometimes we don't even realize that he's guiding us. It says that the Spirit is at work trying to produce fruit in our lives, trying to become more like God, more like the Spirit each day as we listen to him. But part of it is just listening to Him guide us in um, our daily lives on what's the right thing to do here. Sometimes it just takes the form of of kind of like a conscience where the Spirit speaks to us and says, do this, or don't do this, or maybe I should go help that person over there. Maybe I shouldn't say anything right now because I really wanna say something, but I think it's just gonna be destructive. And there's this internal conversation we can have with the Spirit, like, God, what, what do you want me to do in this situation? Help me to have a peace about this. Help me to have a wisdom about this. And the Spirit will give us convictions. Just to be clear, there may be some convictions that the Spirit gives you that's just for you and doesn't apply to all Christians. Right, Just because you feel the Holy Spirit pressing upon you that you need to be a junior high small group leader because we're in desperate need of them, because we have a lot of students who are just inviting friends and they're growing the groups so and we need more, that would be, like, just because God is convicting you to do that, doesn't mean every Christian needs to. That was my, not shameless plug, it was a shameful plug, I'll be honest. Um, just, just needed to sneak that in there. But in all seriousness, just because God's convicting you to do something or not to do something doesn't mean that he's necessarily applying that across the board. My, my dad is a great example. My dad um, from an early age decided and, and felt the strong conviction that he just didn't wanna to ever touch alcohol. He had seen a lot of people in his family's lives destroyed by it and he said, I just don't wanna to touch it and just felt that the spirit was saying, yeah, just." it's not worth it it's it's unwise for you to even go near it and so he didn't but he doesn't go around in like restaurants and just take drinks from people's table and calls them sinners and like you know throw it in their face no he's he knows that there are good faithful bible believing christians who have a glass of wine before uh, they go to bed or with their dinner and they drink responsibly and they don't have that same conviction We need to be able to have that. and If you want more on that, I really encourage you to go online and and listen to uh, a a sermon that Adam, our senior pastor, taught on a series called Undivided a couple years ago. That series is so foundational for us as a church. It's all about, let's not divide on the minor issues. Let's not divide on our convictions and on our preferences. And let's stay unified on the things that matter. And so I really encourage you to check that out if you haven't already, but the Spirit the Spirit will speak to us throughout our daily lives for just attentive to what He's trying to tell us. And He helps us to read uh, His Word and helps us hear from God in that. So third, the final point, and I just wanna make this clear, is God speaking is not a formula. I've been married not for terribly long, coming up on four years here. And uh, one thing I'm still learning and still struggle with, and I don't know, maybe will forever, is I tend to treat my relationship at times with my wife as a formula, right? If I just say this and this, and then don't say that, and then do this, everything's gonna be great. Rinse and repeat every day. And I know none of you have ever struggled with this. This is unique to me. But um, some of, I saw some of you turn to your spouse right there and it's led to problems and there's li- it's literally come up in like arguments where I'll just be like what do you want why are you upset i did everything right and of course that helps everything and then she understands no no that doesn't help why because relationships can't be deduced to a formula because we uh, relationships are dynamic we're complex we're constantly growing and evolving, and um, relationships require a constant reworking and reevaluating, you know, there's these marriage conferences and curriculum that give some great stuff, but they're always like, follow these five steps and you'll save your marriage, and I'm I'm not bashing these things. I mean, there's some great resources that give you good tools for building your marriage or building your relationships, but if you just treat it as, I just need to follow these right steps and check these boxes, it's not gonna work. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be in a relationship with Jesus. And if, if human beings are complex, you can bet that God is infinitely more complex. And God isn't, can't be deduced to a formula, and it frustrates God when we do that. I mean, God was so frustrated with the Jewish leaders throughout the Old Testament, that was their biggest problem, was they replaced their relationship with him with a formula. Jesus confronts the Jewish leaders all the time that they, they they treated their relationship with him as if I just do this and don't do this and do this and do that, then I will have a great relationship with God. And, and God, guys, God is so far above that. God isn't this petty person who's just like, all right, you better do all these things to make me happy today. It's like, no, God wants a relationship with us. wanna Give you one last story to illustrate this first Kings chapter 19. Elijah, he's, a, he's another prophet. he declares judgment on the nation of Israel and the king because they're um, falling into these idolatrous relationships with uh, the, the, this fake God Baal and um, Elijah's like, guys, we got to knock this off. God's going to bring judgment on our nation. And eventually he like challenges, the prophets of Baal to a duel. And he's like, let's settle this once and for all. You try to call down fire, I'll try to call down fire. They try, they embarrass themselves. Elijah's throwing insults and mocking them. And then it's Elijah's turn, he's like, God, bring down fire. And God just like blows everyone away. This giant pillar of fire comes and licks up the altar that Elijah has, has prepared as this great success. And you know Elijah's just feeling on top of the world. And the king does not respond well. And he wants Elijah dead when he hears of this. And so Elijah goes into hiding, he runs into the wilderness and he's frustrated because he's had this big, awesome moment. And then it's like, now I'm just running for my life. He says this to God in verse 10, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord told him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. <clears throat> and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast, that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love this passage because one, I get the sense that God's trying to teach Elijah and teach us that God can't be deduced to a formula, that we have these expectations of how God ought to act or how God ought to respond to us. God tells Elijah, look, I know you know that I can do all these great things. I just did the fire, I did the earthquake, all this stuff. He's like, but don't think that you can just put me in a box Deduce me to a formula, or deduce me to a certain style of responding. I respond how I respond. I decide that. Second reason I love this is uh, because there's times where God chooses to speak to us in the quiet. A lot of times. Like I mentioned earlier, like Stephen mentioned, is. We've got a lot of noise going on in our lives. When we sit still before him and turn down the noise of life, when we turn down the noise of meetings and driving the kids everywhere and cleaning the house and working on another project and turning down the podcasts and the music and everything else, when we actually take time to turn down some of that noise, for just a couple moments even, God speaks so often. And I wonder, I wonder how much we miss each day of God just wanting to tell us something. It may not even be this like profound, like you will give birth to a child. You know, it doesn't need to be that profound. It may just be something as simple as proud of you today. Or hey, I I know you've had a rough day, but I love you. Could it be that that God's trying to speak to us constantly during the day and we just keep missing it? In student ministries, we have what we call our our main takeaway. It's kind of the one thing we want you to take away. Um, If I had a main takeaway this morning, it would be this, cut the noise, cut the noise. A friend of mine was just telling me recently that he has a grandmother who will leave him a voicemail uh, and, then, and then she'll turn off her phone and expect a callback. And it's like, well, how are you supposed to call you if your phone's off? But I wonder sometimes if we treat our relationship with God like that. We pick up the phone, we talk to him in our devos or you know, whatever it is, our quick prayer that we throw out and then we cut the cord, we turn off the phone, and don't even give him an opportunity to respond throughout our entire day. I wanna challenge us to actually stop to listen this week. It could be in our prayer time, could be in, you know, reading God's word. It could just be stopping and pausing during your day and say, was there anything, any interaction I had with someone that God may have been using to communicate something to me? It could be, was there any circumstance today that God was just using to guide me today? It could just be, I'm going to stop for a few moments, just listen to see if God has anything to say directly to me. Some of you, you're blessed to have your own office, maybe it's at home now, but you've got your own space that you can put down work for two minutes and just sit in silence uninterrupted. Or some of you, maybe you've got a long commute and you sit in your car and rather than yelling at the people in the other car that, by the way, can't hear you, um, just listening to see if God has anything to say, spending time just reflecting on your day, or you put the kids down for a nap. We're in that season now. And you, you wanna get everything done that you can, but maybe you just spend a few minutes first just sitting in silence. I don't know what that is, but I suspect that if we are more intentional about this, it's not gonna happen naturally yet, but I suspect that if we're intentional about trying to find time to listen to God, that he's going to speak. And I'd love to hear in a week, like seriously, if you see me next week, I wanna hear if you've got like, man, I spent five minutes this week and God just spoke something to me. I don't care if it's like the the silliest little thing. I'd love to hear that of how God spoke to you because I think God's waiting to talk to all of us on a more regular basis. We've just gotta be willing to, to hear it. Let's pray. God, thanks for this day. Thank you for all you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, dying on the cross for our sins, that we can come together and worship that each week. And thank you, Lord, for speaking to us and stepping down on our level. Lord, uh, I'm sorry for the times that I don't listen. Sorry for the times that we get too busy and don't take the time to be intentional about hearing from you, God. Would we be better at that this week? And would you give us the strength and the ability to do that, Lord? And would you speak to us? Help us to hear from you more often, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.